My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. Hey, welcome. Like Andrew said, it's Missions Week, and we are um, <coughs> looking forward to uh, just uh, embracing this idea of God's mission this week. As he said, as Andrew said, we're talking about local mission this week, global mission next week with an event in between, and uh, we're really uh, looking forward to this specific Missions Week because we're looking at, looking at it through our uh, our, what we feel like is our primary calling or our primary strategy for missions uh, as a church, which is church planting. And so today we're going to talk about local church planting. And it's fun because it's not going to be just me up here talking the whole time. You can get excited because we're going to bring up, yes, I hear some amens. That's offensive, but it's okay. Um, we're going to bring up uh, a couple other local church planners who are in the process of discerning the call of God and moving forward with it. So it's going to be fun. We're going to hear from some other people besides me. Um, And here's the other thing. If you're relatively new to Providence, you may not know this, but we are a church plant. I I realize that every church had to get planted at some point, but we're a recent church plant. Like just uh, just over two years ago, uh, a, a group of some of you, I think there was 26 of us in total, gathered uh, in uh, my family's living room, just like eight or 10 blocks up the way here. And there's like 26 of us in a room that, that comfortably sat like 11 people. And we gathered and we prayed and we sought the Lord and uh, we sang together. And about almost exactly a year after that, we were here in this building for our public launch. And now here we are another year later and we've been able to see a few dozen people get baptized. We've been able to see people get saved. Yeah, you can get excited about that. We've seen people come to know Jesus and where we started from as a church was this place of, as we looked at the city of Omaha, we looked at kind of this midtown or this central part of Omaha and we saw places like UNMC. We saw all the students there, um, the employees there. We saw places like all this uh, UNO with all the students there. We saw Fortune 500 companies that are around here. We saw uh, little uh, neighborhoods or business districts popping up like Blackstone and Exarban and all these historic neighborhoods. And we saw, man, there's a lot of influence that's happening there. And this influence is like influencing the rest of Omaha and really the rest of eastern Nebraska. And, and what we wanted to do, what we felt called to do, because as we looked at all the influence that was coming out of here, it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of people that were actually influencing it with the gospel. And so we took that calling and we wanted to plan ourselves around here in the middle of Omaha, in the center of the city, to influence the influencers with the idea that as we pursued our mission of making and sending disciples, that influencers would get raised up and we would be able to send people out. And as people are sent out to different parts of the city, that we would be able to plant a church or plant churches. We wanted, and so just so you know, we're not just a church plant, but we desire to be a church planting church. And we're just listening and trying to figure out where God might have us go next, whether that's, you know, South Omaha or Southwest Omaha or Bennington or Bellevue or wherever it might be. We are excited about this idea. Now in church planting in 2018, I have to say this, we're we're kind of faced with a dilemma. And, And here's a dilemma. It's because church planting is the cool thing to do. Okay. I don't know if you know this, but in like church and Christian circles, it's like the thing. If you're a part of a church plant, that's like the cool thing. And so here's, here's what we have to discern before anyone gets sent out or anyone, any church gets planted. We have to decide as a church, are we going to be a church planting church because it's cool 
because people might respect us for it, uh, or, or it might uh, look like uh, we're successful because we do it, or are we going to plant churches because we have an incredible passion for a group of people? Or we have an incredible heart, God's heart for a neighborhood or a section of our city. And because we, have, uh, because we share the, the passion that Jordan mentioned earlier, that we want to see God glorified in every corner of Omaha, that we want to see Jesus be made famous by this. And I'll tell you this right now, uh, Jesus is a fan of the latter. And we as a church want to be a fan of the latter as well. The, to be people who are uh, planting Jesus-glorifying churches. And so my hope this morning as we go through this and as you hear from some people is that your hearts would be stirred in that you would want to be a part of this church planting movement that I feel like is happening here in Omaha that we could see the, go- the gospel contextualized to people in and around us, people who are our friends, people who are in our neighborhoods, everywhere around there. And so this morning, we're going to look just for a few minutes at Acts chapter 17. The passage that was read earlier. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, is going to take us to school on what it looks like to put the gospel in, uh, as a disciple of Jesus, to put the gospel in someone else's context. Or to be a, a church who really views the city how God views the city and uses the gospel in a way that makes sense to other people. And so, we're going to look at, at Acts 17, and I'm just going to say three quick observations we're going to go through this, and then I want to, uh, we're going to hear from some of these church planners. So here's the first observation I see from Acts chapter 17. If you've got your Bibles open, you can follow along. The first observation is to start with a burden, okay? Start with a burden. Uh, in verse 16, this is the very first verse of this section. Uh, I'm going to read it out again. It says, Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Now here, Paul is burdened. There's something that was provoked inside him when he looked around. So we're kind of catching up in the middle of the story. We're in the book of Acts where the church was first starting. At the beginning of Acts, there were no churches. There, there was no church of Jesus, so to speak. And uh, through the movement of the Holy Spirit, this thing just exploded and different churches were being planted in different cities. There was this movement of the Spirit and, and Paul, in the second half of Acts, is on the leading edge of this as he is like getting led by the Spirit. He's going to different places, talking about the gospel, and he's preaching the gospel. People are getting saved. He's planting churches. And here, he finds himself in the city of Athens, which is a cultural center. It's an intellectual center. It's a place where philosophers reside. In our context, it might be similar to like a New York City or an L.A. kind of place. It's a place where culture is being created, where there's leading thinkers and leading philosophers there. But Paul, when he saw the city, he wasn't enamored by all of that but rather he was provoked or burdened by the idols. Some people say that that, uh, they joke that there were more gods than there were people in Athens in this day. But when he saw this, he saw the structures, he saw the people. Uh, He wasn't enamored by it, but rather he couldn't take the fact that all of these things were blatantly worshiping other things. He had a burden, and so he had to preach Jesus, okay? Now, for us, 
when we view our city, when we view culture, Christians many times have a tendency to do one of two things. We'll either run from culture, run from the city and get as far away from it as possible to chastise it, to judge it and say, I don't want anything to do with that. I'll insulate myself from all of those things. Or the other response a lot of times is you run toward it. You completely embrace it and you're engulfed by it. You're swayed by it. You're even conformed by it. Those are a lot of times our two common reactions, but the gospel tells us something different. It tells us that we can have a burden for culture, have a burden for cities, and engage them. So I think it's a good question for us to face. But in general, do we have a burden for our city? Like, Do we see our schools, our neighborhoods, uh, the people around us, and do we notice how they are maybe glorifying something that's other than God? And do we have a burden to actually see those places, those people, and those structures actually be about worshiping God. You see, the heart of missions or the heart of church planting is actually seeing your city, seeing your neighborhood, and seeing your personal networks through the, the lens of God's mission. These, in other words, these places could be glorifying God, but they're not. These places could be pointing to Jesus, but they're not. So church plants are started with a burden, and they're moved forward through the power of the Spirit, through people who have this gospel burden. That's the first thing. The second observation I have is, uh, is very simply this. Know the people. You'll see how Paul does this. Know the people. Um, so after Paul presented to some Jews in Athens, it kind of just came out of him. He's talking about Jesus. Then he starts talking to some other people, and they kind of make fun of him. I don't know if you caught that in the story, but these people are like, okay, you're kind of crazy, but... We've got a place where there's some leading thinkers and leading philosophers. Why don't you go there? Because they like hearing about new things. Why don't you tell them about Jesus? And so Paul's like, okay, I'm going. And so as he gets there, he presents uh, to the philosophers there at this place called the Areopagus. And in verse 22, he says this, if you're following along, it says, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, these Greek thinkers, non-Christian thinkers, he said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands. He keeps on going and explains God to them. But So there's so much packed in this, I can't cover, uh, I can't cover it all, but... but what I want you to pick up as he's talking is he starts on their terms. He knew these people. And so what, what he does when he, um, when he starts there is he doesn't start with the Bible, but he, he comes to them uh, by, by speaking to them on their terms. It says these Greeks, or these Greeks rather, were, they were kind of enamored by new thoughts, as it says in verse 17. But the other thing, uh, that is common about them is they had this sense of struggle with life's sufferings. They had these questions about, like, why isn't life completely just? Why are these injustices in the world? And so they had this unknown God, this unnamed God that had a, a statue in their world or in their city. And the idea behind the statue was that the hopes that if they one day might be able to come across who that God actually is, maybe he would solve this unsettled 
struggle in their hearts. And so Paul observes this, and he says, I see your questions. I see your struggle. Now, let me tell you about a God who has an answer for that. Paul knew these people. The idea of church planting is that we have to know the people that we're trying to reach. And you can do this well, and you can do this poorly. I uh, got a chance uh, to see kind of firsthand of, uh, of how this was done poorly one time, sadly. So in uh, maybe 15 years, 12 years ago, I don't know how long ago it was, but when I was in college, uh, I did an internship in Mexico, in central Mexico, and I took this church planting class, and there was a missionary who was a part of this, um, who was a part of teaching this class. And he said, uh, he said you know what, we kind of have a sad story of church planting in our city. Um, he said, back in the 50s, there was this mass influx of American missionaries who came into our city. They planted all these churches, and some of these churches still exist. Some of them are still around. Um, some of them are still existing. But he said, if you walk into them, you will see uh, people who are dressed extremely formally, you know, men in suits and ties. And, and he goes, the culture of the place is ultra, ultra, ultra conservative. If you would walk in there and listen to their music, it would be unfamiliar to you because their translated English, uh, American songs or hymns from a century ago, and they're singing them now in Spanish, just like the day they planted. And he said, and you know what? These churches aren't growing, and they're not reaching people. You know why? We're like, I don't know. And he said, because these missionaries came in, and they planted 1950s American churches in Mexico. And they look exactly the same right now. And he said, the questions or the way that they're living out the gospel is not answering the questions of Mexican people in the 2000s. There's this disconnect that, it, that exists there. And he said, now the traditions of these churches have become more important than the timeless gospel and how it answers these this culture is changing questions. The timeless gospel that can answer uh, anyone's questions in anyone's time period. And that's really bad contextualization and bad missionary work. And so providence, for the sake of, of reaching people and the sake of Jesus being famous, we actually need to be people who listen. We need to be people who observe people around us. Like, do we know the questions that UNO students are asking? Do we know the deep questions that people in Midtown or in Blackstone are asking? Do we know like the desires and the longings that people actually have? As a matter of fact, for us personally, just as individuals, have we asked good enough questions to our neighbors and coworkers to know what are the longings and desires of their hearts? And do we know that in, in a sense so that we can know how the gospel is actually good news to them? So the challenge from this is, I think, we just need to strive and long to be a people who know people well enough, who know our neighborhoods well enough, to be able to know them deeply enough to be able to have a platform to, to preach the gospel through the power of the Spirit. Okay, one last observation I want to draw out from this text. Uh, and number three is, God is revealed. God is revealed. So have you ever thought about a friend that you have, that you've uh, thought about this friend and thought, you know what, I don't see how this person would ever trust in Jesus. I don't see how this person would ever give their life to Christ. Have you ever had that doubt before? Well, there's a, a pastor and author, Jonathan Dodson, 
who uh, in a book that he wrote, Unbelievable Gospel, wrote something to the effect of this. He said, um, what does a first century Jewish man that lived 2,000 years ago who died on a piece of wood have anything to do with my neighbor? In other words, why should my neighbor care about this man who lived 2,000 years ago who died on a piece of wood? When you, when you put it like that, it kind of sounds ridiculous, right? But his point was, the story of Jesus is crazy until the Spirit reveals who God really is. In other words, the idea of revealing God is it's linking people's deepest desires and deepest longings with who God really is. Because he is the only one who actually satisfies. So Paul, in this next verse, he's actually trying to make that connection with the Greeks. And so we're going to look at verse 27. In verse 27, it picks up kind of mid-thought, but it says, he's talking to these people and he said, they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Is there another verse that comes after this? Oh, if not, I'll read it for you. Okay, I wanted one more verse up there. That was probably my mistake. But it says, in the very next verse, it says, for quote, in him we live and move and have our being. That's a quote. A lot of times when the Bible quotes something, it's maybe from another part of Scripture. Has anyone heard that phrase in Scripture? Is, is Paul's trying to use this as his defense of a verse or a chapter? You probably wouldn't know that. It's a trick question because the, the, the thing that, God, or that Paul is talking about right here is not actually from Scripture. That quote is actually a Greek poem from 600 B.C. about Zeus. So Paul essentially is taking these people's desires, he's taking their longings, and they're longing to live for God, to find him, and he was beginning to show him, show them how Jesus in the resurrection actually does this. So as a church, and as individuals, we need to get to know people deeply, and neighborhood, neighborhoods deeply, and their needs will become clear, and it gives an opportunity for the Spirit to clearly reveal who God is. And we can be a part of that by preaching the good news, praying that God would actually reveal himself in this. In other words, when we're talking to someone and we realize, oh, you desire acceptance? Well, Jesus died for you so that you could be fully and completely accepted by God. Oh, what you really long for is a sense of hope because you sense shame because of things that you've done in the past or the lifestyle that you've lived. Well, here's the good news about hope. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, he actually, when we trust in him, he actually makes us into a new creation. Or you, you, you want relational intimacy? Well, the reality is when you trust in Jesus, you are unified with Christ, and he will shower you with unconditional love. He knows everything about you, and he is still completely faithful to you. There is uh, a relational intimacy in Jesus. I believe that people in our city, people in our neighborhoods, and people in our workplaces, they have these questions, but unfortunately, many of them don't know that Jesus actually satisfies. And if not for sure, and completely in this life, he will in the next life. Amen? So we believe that the best way to make the greatest impact in our city is to plant gospel-centered churches where we have a burden for people, where we uh, know 
who people are, we know their stories, and then we work hard to reveal God, and we pray that the Spirit would reveal God to them. And so, instead of me talking more, what I want to do is give a couple people an opportunity to share about how God is moving in their hearts to plant gospel-centered churches here in Omaha. And so we're going to have two groups of people come up, one at a time, and so I want you guys to give a warm Providence Church welcome to Trevor Nashlinas. Trevor, why don't you come up with us today? Trevor, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to introduce you for us. You have, you know, you better than me. And so, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, where you're from and what you're looking to do and how God is leading you in this church planning journey? Yeah. Thanks. I'm originally from Omaha, Nebraska. Grew up in a, on 144th and Dodge. Moved away in 2005 to go to school at Northwest Missouri State in Maryville, Missouri. Thought I was going to stay two weeks because I didn't like it. Called home, asked if I could come back. My parents said, no, you got to stay to the end of the semester. Uh-huh. Ended up staying 12 years. Uh-huh. I recently moved back in January of this year to plant a church here in Omaha. I've got uh, married, been married to my wife, Tierney, for 10 years. We've got two kids, our son, Valor, who's age three, and our, our daughter, Sylvie, who's age one. Uh, we like to refer to them as thing one and thing two. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with the cat in the hat, uh, because they have crazy hair and they are full of energy. But um, this morning, I'd like for you to do a little thought experiment with me for a minute. Uh, you've probably noticed that we live in a disillusioned world. Everywhere you look, people are disillusioned about something or someone. People are disillusioned about our government. People are disillusioned about education. People are disillusioned about their relationships. People are disillusioned about sex and money and marriage and about the culture in which we currently live. And most of all, people are disillusioned about Christianity. If the 17th century ushered in the age of enlightenment, then the 21st century is ushering in the age of disenchantment. That may be true for you, It's certainly true for the people in my circles of influence. Take my friend Zach and his wife Caitlin, for example. My friend Zach is an educator. He's an intellectual and he's an atheist. He is politically active. He is socially involved. He is concerned about racial reconciliation. And he is uh, very much interested in what is currently happening in our world as it is today. His wife, Caitlin, is a law student at the University of Creighton. She is the same way. And they are deeply dissatisfied with where our world is at and with where they are at. They're dissatisfied with the way our government is working and the lack of our ability to change our world through politics. They're dissatisfied with the current racial relations that they're seeing across the city of Omaha and the lack of racial unity, yet they have no hope that it's ever going to change. They're dissatisfied with their own lives, entering into careers that they thought were going to be satisfying and make a difference. And even though they are making a difference to some degree, it's just not fulfilling them the way that they thought that it would. And they're deeply disillusioned. We all know Zach's and Caitlin's, don't we? We know Zach's and Caitlin's in our neighborhood who are disillusioned about where they're at in their career, thinking that they're going to be further or faster than they are right now. We know Zach's and Caitlin's in our schools who are disillusioned about their academics, thinking that if they could just get the right degree or end up in the right career field, then all the things would fall into place for them. 
But school is more difficult than they thought it would be. And it's not answering the questions that they've been asking in the way that they had hoped it would. They're disillusioned. We all know Zachs and Caitlins who are disillusioned about Christianity and distant from the church. Who just aren't quite convinced that Christianity offers anything of substance that's going to satisfy their deep longings or that's going to change our world. Those are the people who are my heart to reach. They're urban intellectuals between the ages of 25 and 35 who are disillusioned about Christianity and distant from the church. They're people who are just cynical about religious institutions specifically, but any institution in general. They're longing for a world to be different, but they can't quite find solutions to the problems that they're facing in our world and in their own souls. So my heart is to awaken, to awaken disillusioned individuals to the grandeur of God with the beauty of the gospel. My hope is to show them that Jesus Christ offers a compelling alternative to life as we know it in our disenchanted world. And my hope is to do so by presenting to them the good news that there is a God who is watching over our world, but he's not distant from it. He's actively involved in it. He entered into it through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he is at work in our world right now through the Holy Spirit, through his church, engaging culture and restoring it to himself in Jesus Christ. My hope is to show those disillusioned individuals that Jesus is the answer to our racial disharmony. That in Jesus, our our problem isn't a skin problem. Our problem is a sin problem. And in Jesus, our sin is dealt with and forgiven and we are freed and brought back into relationship with God and with one another. My hope is to offer these people the solution that in Jesus we have the the existential satisfaction that we so long for in the core of our being as Jesus restores us to the God of heaven. That we would no longer live life under the sun apart from God, but we would live life in the sun and for God. And in there, we would find the meaning and fulfillment that we have been longing for all of our lives. So that's where we're at with our vision and our heart. I'm currently six months into a two-year church planting residency at Cormdale Church, so that could all change. Uh, but right now we're praying towards that end. We're working towards that end. We're currently spending time with people um, who have those kinds of questions, who are facing those kinds of challenges, who, who long to see our world restored, but just quite, haven't quite discovered that the restoration they long for is in Jesus. Um, a lot could change between now and then, but that's currently where we're at. Hey, thanks, Trevor. Yeah, you can keep that for just a second. Um, so six months into two years, so you've got a little road ahead of you. So could you tell us, just so we can be uh, just partnering with you in prayer and laboring with you in prayer, is there something specific that rises to the top of the list as you journey through these next 18 months that we could be praying for you and your family for? Yeah, great question. Um, I think the two things that we're trying to really sort through is where is God calling us to plant this church and who is God calling us to plant this church with? Uh, what I just, the picture I just painted covers a lot of ground throughout the city of Omaha. You can find a lot of those people in downtown Omaha. You can find them in midtown Omaha. You can find them in central Omaha. You can even find them far west Omaha. So um, our, our heart is more for 
the urban core of Omaha, but we just need clarity on where specifically is God going to have us plant. Uh, but then we also just need God to, to give us favor in gathering a core team and actually seeing that become a reality. Cool. Well, thanks, Trevor. So I'm going to pray for you, but not now. I'm going to wait till the other guys come up. I'll pray for you all at one time. But hey, can you guys give it up for Trevor? And as you're in the mood of clapping, could you clap once again? I want to invite Jacob and Alejandro up here. Here you go, guys. Hey, what are, so I said your names. Uh, why don't you introduce yourselves just a little bit, and uh, then we'll get into to some of your church planting details. Cool. Yeah, my name is Jacob Richardson. Um, I grew up in Omaha as well, like 168th in Dodge, so just a little bit further west than Trevor. But um, I've lived here most of my life, went to Bible college in California, spent a little over a year in Guatemala, and now I'm back. And uh, I'm a church planting intern slash City Light U intern um, at City Light Midtown. So, yeah. And uh, my name is Alejandro. Uh, you can call me Alex, so you don't have to butcher it in case you can't pronounce it. But anyhow, um, I'm from South, and that is like Venezuela. Um, and I've been here for about 20 years now. Uh, spent about 10 years in the corporate world and uh, just kind of heard from God. And I believe that he called us to do this thing about church planting. So about, I've been about two months, I will say, as a church planting resident at City Light Midtown as well. So. Very cool. Hey, so you guys have started to talk about this thing called City Light Espanol. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. And so as you think about that, we talked about starting with a burden. What do you feel like you guys, what's your, what is your burden? Yeah. yeah, that's a good question. So, I mean, I think it starts with the gospel. As we've, as we've heard this morning, the, the gospel, Roman says, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. But then later on, he says that how can we believe unless we hear? And, and so we have a cool opportunity how we both speak English and Spanish where um, God's kind of opened up a door for us to be able to, to share the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus with people that maybe wouldn't understand it in English or wouldn't understand it in Spanish. But um, yeah, if this thing happens, a bilingual church plant where, where people can hear the word of God in, in their own language, can worship God in their own language and, um, and hopefully respond to him and grow with him and you know, you see God's heart all throughout scriptures for the, the foreigner, for um, the outcast, for the person who's, who's forgotten by society. And unfortunately, for a lot of people with the Hispanic heritage in, in our city, that's kind of them. They're, they're foreigners, they're outsiders, but, but we know that God is near to them. And we want to have a cool opportunity to, to show that in a tangible way. Yeah, that's yeah. great. So Alex, he started talking, Jacob started talking about the people. You want to share a little bit about the, the people that you feel like you've been called to or the burden you have for area people, whatever? Yeah, um, so there is quite a bit of uh, Spanish-speaking people here in our city, uh, primarily in South Omaha, but we felt like there are some sort of uh, gospel center healthy churches within South Omaha. But there is nothing out west or nothing midtown area. Um, so we have a burden for those people that have no access to the gospel and that we've known that they're not going to drive to South Omaha to, to a church gathering. Yeah. So, um, so God has just kind of put in this, this in our hearts to go and, and say, okay, what would it look like, you know, if we gather as a, as a small church, a city light Espanol, 
geographically speaking, in West Omaha. Um, so we can invite our friends, and they can invite our friends, and there is that cripple effect, right? Mm-hmm. So that's are the people who really want to uh, focus on it right now. Of course, there's we don't want to limit ourselves, but that's where we want to start. Yeah. That's great. So as you think about those people, as you dream about planting a church for those people, how would you say the gospel is really good news to them? Or what, what's the message you're bringing in? Yeah, Yeah. so um, you know, some of them have grown up with a, with a strong Catholic influence, some with a strong prosperity gospel influence. And, and those are just some of the people that we know um, within our, our city group. So right now we actually have two Spanish-speaking city groups that we're a part of, um, just starting from there. And we saw, saw one older man, he's in his 70s, um, who has been strong Catholic his whole life, and we just got the opportunity to, to share the gospel with him, uh, to share that, that there's nothing he can do to earn God's favor, but Jesus paid for his sin and can bring him into relationship with God through simple faith. And we saw, saw this guy respond to the gospel and um, has been growing in huge ways ever since and, and growing in his desire to know God. And, and so that's just one example of, awesome. of people that simply have not heard the gospel yeah. um, it presented in the, in the correct biblical way that we have a cool opportunity to reach. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So uh, a little of the details and going forward, maybe a prayer request, like what, what's your timeline going forward and what, um, yeah, what's something that we could be praying for, a top one thing or two things? Um, we have no timeline. Um, actually, love it. Um, so whenever, uh, whenever God calls, we're going to hopefully be obedient and just answer the call and just yeah. run with it. Um, but there's two things that primarily we're focusing when it comes to prayer. Um, number one is if God does decides to raise this church and we believe, and we believe he does, he says, you, I will build my church. Um, we want this, uh, to be, uh, of course, on his time and primarily we want to, we don't want to do it like rush into it. Yeah. We just want to do his will and not ours. So again, if he decides to do it, we just want to wait upon him. And number two, before that even happens, we want to have a core team and we want to develop a discipleship culture. So we don't want to be a church where people will gather to be consumers of the church, yeah. but to be disciples and disciple makers of Jesus. So that is our number one priority uh, that we really have. It's just a a burden, uh, just yeah. as Jacob said, uh, before anything happens. So again, for the will of God to be done and for us to be obedient and diligent about um, a discipleship culture within yeah. our core team. That's great. Hey, thanks for sharing. Could you guys give it up for these guys? Trevor, I'm going to ask you to come up real quick. Let me just... Uh, let me just pray for all you guys. And if you would, just symbolically, as you're agreeing in prayer, uh, we want to pray for, for trailblazing uh, gospel-centered church planters. And so uh, let me pray for these guys, specifically about their requests. And then, uh, yeah, we'll go from there. So let me pray. Jesus, we are thankful for, <clears throat> for these three men. We're thankful that you have given them a gospel burden. We're thankful that you have saved them and you've given them a vision of your mission and what it looks like. God, as we uh, listen to Trevor, in his uh, vision and talking about uh, the disillusioned people in Omaha. God, I pray uh, that you would um, be able to 
go in front of him in his timeline and be able to uh, find a, a place where uh, he would best be uh, strategically placed to be able to reach those people uh, that you have put on his heart. And God, as he dreams about reaching those people, God, would you bring a team around him? Would you make it very clear and put the calling on people's hearts um, of people to surround him, uh, whether it's staff people or interns or families or singles or whoever are uh, around to be able to um, to be able to go with him in this journey that they could be a, a family who's on mission and God as we think about um, city light espanol and Jacob and Alex God um, we pray also that you would go, go in front of them, God, uh, as they don't know exactly their timeline and they don't know exactly how you're putting this all together and how it seemed like kind of a random chance thing that you brought these two together. God, would you um, uh, solidify uh, their plans uh, in your plan? God, would you help them to be able to know and wisely discern how and when you're leading them forward? And God, as they do that um, and as they share the gospel faithfully, God, would you, as Alex said, Help them build a, a culture of discipleship. God, would it be people who are not consumers, but people who are um, sold out for Jesus, people um, who are living the, the servant-hearted, self-sacrificial lifestyle of a disciple to invest in and to build up others. God, ultimately, we want to see your glory um, uh, just shine. We want to see Jesus be known in all corners of our city. And so we pray for these three guys. We pray for their families and their teams. And we pray for uh, so many more who are dreaming about church planning. God, could you um, go in front of us and could we follow faithfully where you're leading us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks, guys. You want to take this down to Andrew real quick? <clears throat> so uh, as we wrap up here this morning, I just want to say this. I think God is doing something unique in our city, and I think that God is spurring all sorts of people toward church planning. We want to be people who plant a church. And so next steps for us as a church, we don't have, personally have a church plant that we are running at in the next couple months. Obviously you can pray for these guys, but here's um, one, one thing that I wanted to say. So we have an advisory team here at, at Providence and last month we were gathering together and talking about all sorts of things, uh, church planning, whether it's building and location, like where could we go, who would it be, all of these kind of things. And as we paused to pray for a second, and just try to hear from God um, and trying to think about all these details, uh, it seemed like God said something to us. And what he said to us uh, was, hey, if you want to do that then, in the future, make sure you're living that out now. So make sure you are city groups, you are individuals, you are families that are living out the mission where you're at right now. And so I want to challenge you uh, to just think about what could you do in the sense of the three observations from the text uh, to start with a burden, uh, to know people, and then to reveal God? Is there something in those lines that you could be challenged with? Maybe it's just having a burden. Maybe you don't care about the people around you. Maybe you don't have a burden for um, your neighbors, your coworkers. Uh, could you pray that God would give you a burden for those people? Maybe it's uh, you need to know people. Maybe you coexist with people, but you haven't asked questions. You haven't dived into their lives. You haven't invited them into your home. Maybe there is a step that you could move forward uh, to actually get to know people better. 
Or, or maybe finally, uh, maybe uh, the Spirit is, is pushing you to actually reveal God. Obviously, that's the Spirit's job, but maybe you just need to actually put the gospel into words with people who are around you. Maybe there's someone who you've been talking to for a long time, and it's time to, to actually share the gospel with them to be able to understand. But we want to be a people, if we want to be a church planning church, we have to be disciples who are living on mission right now. And so... Uh, what I want to do uh, to wrap up this morning is I want us, uh, we're going to, the band is going to come back up in a second, and we're going to uh, take communion like we do every Sunday. And uh, actually, our communion service can come forward, a band, you guys can come forward. Um, and what we want to do is reflect on the fact that this isn't a, a personal thing that we have, that we just want to influence people uh, for our own benefit. But the reality is, is that Jesus has done something otherworldly that has brought new life to humans, to individuals, and he has done this through the work of the cross and through his resurrection. And that's why every single week we come back in gratefulness that Jesus has died for us, And he has resurrected, and now we can have that resurrection life. And we now not only sit in that and just say, thanks, God, but we have been called into his mission to be able to be agents of reconciliation for other people. And so we just want to reflect on the fact that this is possible. Church planning is possible. Lives being changed are possible. A 70-year-old man who's never heard the gospel, who just trusted Jesus, who's a Spanish-speaking man in West Omaha, that's possible because Jesus went to the cross and he died for us and he was able to bring new life. And so I want to invite you, if you are a follower of Jesus, uh, to come forward and um, with a sense of gratitude and a worshipful heart, um, uh, would you observe communion? If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'd invite you to remain seated and maybe think about how God might be calling you in toward himself. But as we do this together, there's a gluten-free station in the back and there's... uh, Uh, communion up front so prayerfully as God would lead you. Would you come forward and would you worship your King? Would you worship your Savior, Jesus, who has died for you and now he's called you into his mission?